want to invite all the little kids to come on up here for a short children's sermon. So, little kids, come on up here if you want to. I've got candy. That helps. All right? Come on. All right. All right, y'all can just sit right here. I'm going to sit on the steps here. Good-looking group of kids here. All right. Now, I've got some candy here. Uh, Vera, what do I have there? Uh, M&M's. M&M's, yes. How many of you guys like M&M's? I like M&M's. All right, you like M&M's. Yes. Okay, I've got M&M's for you guys, but I, I put them in little baggies for you, and you can have them after you're done, but you've got to listen closely, okay? And then y'all can have a little bag of M&M's. I put it in a little bag because I figured your parents would appreciate it because the old advertising thing is they melt in your mouth, not in your hand. It's not true. They do. They melt all over the place. So they're in the bag here, and you can take them back to your seat, and your parents can decide if they'll let you spoil your dinner or not. All right? So now, I have some M&Ms here, though, because I'm going to use these M&Ms to help tell a story, okay? Now, this is kind of a dumb question, but what letter is on each M&M? M, very good. Smart bunch of kids here, too. All right. For M&Ms. Thank you. That's right. The M is for M&Ms. Yes. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? So we have M here, and I'm going to use the letter here to help us tell the Christmas story. Now, the neat thing about an M is when you actually turn it different directions, it actually looks like a a different letter, doesn't it? So if I turn the, the M this way, what letter does it look like now? No, that, that would be if it's upside down, right here, an E, right? An E. So I want E tonight to stand for excitement, excitement. How many of you guys are excited about Christmas tomorrow? All right. Okay, you're excited. Christmas stirs up lots of excitement. But you know what? There is no, no excitement can come even close to comparing to the excitement that very, very first Christmas night. And one of the most exciting things that happened was a bunch of shepherds that were sitting out in the field had some angels come and appear to them. And here's what we read. It says, In that region there were shepherds out in a field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ means Messiah. The Messiah was born. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And then later we read that the shepherds, they went and they saw Jesus and they worshipped him and they left excited. It says they returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. So the first thing I want us to remember about the Christmas story is how exciting it is that God sent Jesus into our world. But I'm going to turn the, the M&M now again, and I'm going to turn it now to, to look like this. What is it now? W. Now it is a W, okay? Now it is a W. And Well, W stands for waiting, because these shepherds, when they saw the angels announce the coming of Jesus, that was something many people in Israel had been waiting for for many Many, many years. They had looked at the Old Testament scriptures and they had waited for the coming of the Messiah, the Savior, who is Jesus. Two of those people were Simeon and Anna. We read their story later on in Luke chapter 2. It says there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And there was another person in that temple as well. There was a lady named Anna, a prophetess. She was a widow and had been in the temple there for many, many years. And she was 84 years old. And she also was waiting, W, for the coming of the, the Messiah. Now I'm going to turn it one more time. Now what, is it, what does it look like? Okay, no, it's not an M. I got it sideways. Okay, it's not E. E was like this. Imagine a number now. Ah, the number three. The number three. Because just as Anna and Simeon worshipped Jesus in the temple, so too some other guys came to worship Jesus. Remember who they were? Some wise men. And they brought, they brought three gifts, didn't they? Three of the gifts, right. Yes. All right, they brought, do you remember what those three gifts were? Anybody? Gold. Not Frankenstein. Frankincense. And myrrh, right. Okay, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And gold was what you brought to a king. Because you know what? Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords. Okay, frankincense is what they used oftentimes in worship for incense. Because Jesus was not only a king, he was also a priest, our high priest. He's the one who goes between God and us. That's why he's our savior. And then myrrh was used to prepare bodies for burial. Because the way Jesus made the way between us and God was that he had to die he died on a cross and rose again to forgive our sins and to give us new life. And that's why he is, and I'm going to turn it around now. What's the letter? This is supposed to be on an M and M? No, not a W, an M. All right. Because Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the one who came to make a way for us to be with God forever and ever. So as you're excited tomorrow about Christmas, I want you to be excited, but I want you to be excited mostly about Jesus. As you're waiting tonight, you're waiting For those gifts, you know, I want you to think about how people were waiting for the coming of Jesus. And as you get those gifts, I want you to think about those three gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus and what they symbolize. And most of all, I want you to think about how Jesus is the Savior of the world tomorrow as you celebrate Christmas with your family. So maybe you'll have some M&Ms at your home. When you dig into those M&Ms, I want you to remember that Jesus is our Savior because he is the Messiah. All right? Let's pray real quick and then I'll give you your M&Ms, okay? Father, we thank you for Jesus. Jesus is the reason that we're here tonight. He's the reason we're excited. He's the reason that we, we wait all year for this, this holiday called Christmas. He is the reason that we can even talk to you right now. Because he is our high priest. So God, for all these children here, Lord, I pray that you would help them as they're growing and in, in physically and mentally and spiritually, that you'd help them understand this, that Jesus is the one, the one you promised long ago, the one spoken of in all the Old Testament, the one you said would come to deliver us from our sins and to make a way for us to be with you forever, God, in heaven. And so I pray that this Christmas, that these kids would think about that, and Lord, talk to their parents about that, and most importantly, go to the Bible and just search out your word about what it says about Jesus. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to eat this one and give you guys these, okay? All right. So y'all just come on up here and grab a bag of M&M's and then head back to your seat while we get ready for the next portion of our service.
Well, Merry Christmas. Uh, My name is Ken, and I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors at New Branch Community Church on the other side of Decula. And uh, I love Christmas Eve. I love a Christmas Eve candlelight service where we come to worship the coming of the one who would save those who had rebelled against him. Um, but in these last few years, it's been a, uh, a particular joy of mine and ours as New Branch to come and, and celebrate this time uh, with the Harbins family. And so on behalf of New Branch and, and our elders and our members, uh, thank you guys for opening up uh, your church, your facility, your heart uh, to allow us to do this with you together uh, this year and these last few years. I think this is a, an absolute beautiful uh, display of how the gospel unites and the church is one. So thank you for allowing us to be here tonight. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope that you do, I want to ask you to open up to Matthew chapter 1. I want to talk tonight about the miracle that we celebrate at Christmas. And in particular, I want to look at this passage out of Matthew chapter 1. It's the, it's the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. And the birth of Jesus Christ is nothing less than a miracle. The miracle that this this baby who was born in such humble beginnings and who is now at this very moment reigning as king sitting on his throne. It's an absolute miracle that we celebrate at Christmas time. And so I want to look at three Christmas miracles that we see in this particular birth narrative of Jesus as recorded by Matthew in his gospel. So follow along as I read Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. In this passage, I want to look briefly at three Christmas miracles that we see. And each of them kind of build on the other. And the previous ones are kind of the groundwork for the ones which follow. And so the first is none other than the miracle of the virgin birth. It says in verse 18 there that the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And so what Mary had in her 
was from the Holy Spirit himself. And then in verse 20, the angel tells Joseph in a, in a dream, Joseph, son of, it, uh, of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 23, Matthew tells us that even this is fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy from Isaiah 7. Behold, the virgin shall con- conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so it was foretold by the prophet that God's salvation for his people would come and that the sign of his salvation coming would be that a virgin would have a son, would give birth to a son. And so this is not obviously just not just the virgin birth, this is the virgin conception. I don't know about you at, at Harbin's, but at New Branch we have had the, the distinct pleasure and blessing of welcoming a number of new infant babies into our church fellowship this past year and uh and by the looks of of uh those who are expecting that we're going to be bringing in a few more in the next few weeks um but every single one of them was conceived in exactly the same way and none of them were conceived in the way in which jesus was conceived now Maybe I should leave uh, Pastor Steve to handle that in the children's sermon as to how that happens. But the point is, it's very, very different. Scripture says that Mary would have a child, a son, and that this child that is in her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Luke's gospel is even more descriptive as to what happened. The the angel Gabriel showed up to Mary and and tells her that she is pregnant. And and Mary is surprised as she could be, and she says, how can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel replies to her, listen to this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. Now, how does that happen? With with absolutely no no intimation of anything sexual whatsoever, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High, a reference to Jehovah God, the power of the Most High will overshadow you and you will conceive and give birth to a son. Now, what does that even mean? And how, how does that cause Mary to become pregnant with a child? I don't know. And, and that's what makes it a miracle. A miracle is, is something wonderful and amazing that simply cannot be explained. It's something supernatural that, that, that defies explanation by our human reasoning and logic. This is what the virgin conception is. Now, why is the virgin conception, the virgin birth, so important? Matthew tells us, first of all, it's important because it's a fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus fulfills the prophecy from Isaiah 7. But more than that, the virgin birth is the means through which we see the second miracle of Christmas in this passage. And that is the miracle of the incarnation of God himself. What we have in baby Jesus is God becoming man. What we have in Jesus is God putting on 
human flesh. That's what, that's what the word incarnate means, to, to put on flesh. And so what we have in Jesus is God putting on flesh. Mary has a son. And like all other sons, this son has flesh. But the son is from the Holy Spirit, which doesn't have a flesh. Instead, the Holy Spirit is spirit. And so this is God putting on human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, the incarnation of God is a grand miracle and an amazing miracle and too wonderful to describe, but we would be good to remind ourselves that Paul tells us in Philippians 2 that this is part of the humiliation of Christ. This is part of the humbling of Christ. He says in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant by being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. And so though, though we, the, we worship this baby in a manger, and we should, this is God leaving a glorious place in heaven and humbling himself, coming down in lowliness to take on human flesh. And not just taking on the form of a man, but literally becoming man, becoming one of us. And the virgin birth makes this possible. Being born of a human mother means that Jesus is fully human and that he is just as much fully man as any other man who was born of a human mother. But because his human mother was a virgin and because the conception was by the Holy Spirit, the power of the Most High, this is not just some any run-of-the-mill human baby this means that this is God that he is divine Jesus is not part God and part man he, he, he was not man and then he became God this tells us the miracle of the virgin conception and the miracle of the incarnation of God tells us that from the moment of conception Jesus was fully man and fully God at the same time. And that is a miracle because we can't explain that either. Now why is that important? Why why is the incarnation of God in Christ important? Well, it's absolutely important. It's absolutely critical for Jesus to be our sacrificial lamb. You see, only a man could be a substitutionary sacrifice for man. In order for, for, for Jesus to be a substitute for us on the cross, he had to be a man to be a substitute for man. So Jesus could only be our substitute if he was one of us. But to be a sacrifice for the sins of man meant that he would have to be a perfect sacrifice or else he would need someone to be a sacrifice for him. And so he couldn't just be any man. He had to be perfect. He had to be spotless. He had to be blameless and sinless. He had to be God. And so only God could be this holy, blameless, perfect sacrifice for us. That's why Luke connects the dots in that verse that we just read. Luke connects the dots between the virgin birth and the holiness of Jesus. He says the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. 
the Son of God. This too was prophecy fulfillment. Verse 22 says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Think about that phrase for just a moment. Emmanuel, God with us. This is what is represented by this little baby in this feeding trough in Bethlehem. God is with us. God came to us. God came down for us. This is Emmanuel, and it's a miracle. The third miracle that we see, so we've seen the virgin birth, we've seen the incarnation of God, but the third miracle that we see alluded to in this passage is the miracle of salvation. The miracle of the rescue of sinners like us. The the angel said to Joseph in verse 21 about Mary, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came to save. Jesus came to rescue. And the reason why he came to rescue is because we needed to be rescued. We were desperate and hopeless in our sin. Completely and totally lost and incapable of rescuing ourselves. We needed someone to rescue us. We needed God to come down and save us and rescue us. This this desperate hopelessness, I believe, is what Matthew is trying to communicate to us when he refers to to, to the prophecy from Isaiah 7 in verse 23. Now, the context of Isaiah 7 is, is, is King Ahaz, who is the ruler over the southern kingdom of Judah. By this point, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah have, have divided. They're separate. The northern kingdom has fallen. And, and King Ahaz is ruling the southern kingdom. And he's being pressured by, by the, the, the nation of Aram and Syria and, and, uh, and also the nation of the northern kingdom of, of Israel. And he's being pressured. They're, they're, they're about to invade the southern kingdom of Judah. And so instead of trusting in God, he decides to sign a treaty with the king of Assyria so that the king of Assyria will save the southern kingdom of Judah. And God tells King Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah to trust in him, not in foreign nations. He says, I will bring my salvation. I will bring my rescue. And he says, I'm going to give you a sign of that rescue. And he says in verse 14 of Isaiah 7, Therefore the Lord will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And the prophecy goes on to say that before this child gets old enough to know right from wrong, God will bring his rescue. God will bring his salvation. Now many folks point to King Ahaz's son, Hezekiah, as a, as a partial fulfillment in that time and in that place of that prophecy. But Scripture tells us, and, and Matthew tells us here, that this prophecy was not just talking about God's temporary rescue, temporary salvation from the invading armies from the north, but that this, in fact, was a prophecy of God's eternal salvation of his people from their greatest enemy, which is sin. 
So this Isaiah prophecy is that a, a virgin will give birth to a son and that salvation will come from him. And that's what we have here in Jesus. And that's also what his name means here. That's why the angel tells Joseph, you are to call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus' name even means that. Everything's in a name, right? Jesus' name comes from a Hebrew version of the name, and the Hebrew version of his name is Yahshua, which we know as Joshua. And the Hebrew name Joshua comes from two Hebrew words, Yehovah, which is the name of God, and Yesha, which is a verb which means to save. So Jesus' name means God saves, or Jehovah God is salvation. Everything is in a name, and Jesus' name means the salvation of God has come. You see, because of sin, we are in need of rescue. We are hopeless in our sin. We are desperate for rescue, in need of being saved from what we all deserve. And so God, in his love, in his divine wisdom, in his divine jealousy for our worship, he sends his son, the preexistent Christ, to be his salvation for mankind. And those who place their faith in him, those who trust that what this baby grew up to do on a cross outside of Jerusalem, that when he died and rose again, he defeated the power of death and the sting of sin for all those who would trust in him. And that is what we celebrate at Christmas because when we look at the baby in a manger, we see him against the backdrop of the cross. And the cross gives the manger its meaning. The question that I want to leave you with this evening is has he rescued you? Has he rescued you? God created you and I and every person who's ever lived to worship him. But we can't do that which we were created to do because of the stain of sin on our lives. We can't do what we were created to do. So God in his love, he sends his son to die on a cross so that those who place their faith in him might be given a new heart, a new life, the dead spirit taken away and putting a new spirit in them so that we can do that which we were created to do. Has he done that for you? If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your only hope, then he has rescued you. And you can worship him, not just with your lips, but with your lives. And I can't think of a better thing for you to offer to the Father this evening than to offer the worship of your very life to the one who sent his son to rescue you. But if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've never trusted in him, I'm not talking about whether or not you've been in church, whether or not you're even active in church, 
I'm not talking about whether you've walked an aisle or crossed something off of a response card or been baptized or any of that. But if you've never placed your faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross as your only hope for the rescue that we all desperately need and could never earn, then you can't do what you were created to do. You can't worship the one who made you. And you are still under the weight of your sin. The beauty and the miracle of the virgin birth and the miracle of the incarnation of God in Christ and the miracle of salvation means that Jesus has done everything necessary. Will you trust in him so that he will rescue you? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much, so, so much that over 2,000 years ago, you sent your son. You saw us. You saw us in darkness, in the darkness of our own sin and in the darkness of our own rebellion. And you sent the light. Father, I pray for those in this room who know you, their Lord, that know Jesus as their Savior. I pray, Father, that each and every one of them would offer to you this Christmas, Lord, all of who they are. Not just their lips and the songs that we sing here and on Sunday mornings, but in the decisions that we make, the way we raise our family, the way we live, the way we operate in our workplace, the way we conduct ourselves in this world, the way we take this gospel to the nations, that our lives might be a worship service to you. We know that you deserve that. And Lord, we pray for those here who who have never trusted you. Maybe they're just here for a Christmas Eve service to, to celebrate Christmas and to hear a little bit more about the true meaning of Christmas. Lord, I pray that, that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they stand apart from you, but that you have sent your son so that they don't have to stay there. I pray that, Lord, you would give them the gift of faith so that they would trust in what your son did on the cross was full and sufficient payment for their sins. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In a dark corner of the world, on a night very much like tonight, there had been silence from God for 400 years. That meant that God's people had not heard from God through a prophet for 400 years. There had been silence. God had left his people in silence. He had left them in the darkness of their sin and their rebellion for 400 years. And the reason for that was because God was making them feel their need for rescue. But then in the midst of that silence, God brought forth the word, the logos of God, Jesus, his son, whom it says about in John chapter 1, verse 14, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld his glory, glory as of the only son of the Father, full of grace and truth. So he brought forth the word from the silence, and he brought forth light from the darkness. And in the corner of the world that was dark, God brought forth 
the light of his son, Jesus Christ. And John tells us that that light was the life of men, the hope of eternal life that would go from Jerusalem and would spread throughout the nations and would spread throughout the generations to bring light to the world.